scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. You can follow along in your pew Bible on page 876. Luke 16, 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. God's word. Nothing seems to be working today. Ah, that seems a little better. Thank you. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have given us Holy Scripture for our learning. Help us to read, mark, and inwardly digest your Holy Word and ever hold fast to its eternal truths, that in so doing, we may be confirmed more and more each day into the image of your dearly beloved Son. 
And for as much as we have no help in ourselves to help ourselves, mercifully grant that in all things, in all things, dear Father, the Holy Spirit would direct and rule our hearts. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've given title to my sermon today, Seeing a Matter of the Heart. Before us today is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. A parable, we are told, is usually a a story in a form of a comparison or illustration or an analogy, which is intended to convey a spiritual truth. One of the things Jesus is challenging us to, to do by the way of this parable is to compare different ways of seeing. The wisdom of this age says that seeing is believing. This means that only physical or concrete evidence is convincing. But when confronted with this kind of thinking after his resurrection, we should never forget the words of our Lord to his disciple Thomas. Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who, do, who did not see and yet believed. The tension between these two ways of thinking, these two ways of seeing rather, is beautifully highlighted in the words of the poet William Blake. This lies dim wonders of the soul, distorts the heavens from pole to pole, and leads you to believe a lie when you see with, not through the eye. The parable, then, is a study in contrast in the different ways of seeing. The rich man and Lazarus, first, are seen with the eye. We have a rich man, material wealth, brought life of luxury and self-reliance. We have Lazarus, destitute of the necessities of life. We have a rich man, pomp and privilege, a sight to behold. And Lazarus, poor and powerless, a sight to abhor. For both, earthly existence ends in death. But even then, no mention is made of Lazarus's burial. However, physical death is not the end. But physical observation, that is seeing with the eye, cannot take you beyond that point. 
it is then then it is then that we move to seeing through the eye. And as we see through the eye we're presented with the rich man in unending torment and Lazarus in unending comfort. You see spiritual poverty of the rich man is now evident and the spiritual wealth of Lazarus is now equally evident. The rich man was always materially rich. And this was always visible with the eye. But now that we see through the eye, we now realize that he was always a spiritual pauper. Lazarus was materially poor. And this is what we saw. This is what was always visible with the eye. But now we see through the eye. And we realize that Lazarus was always spiritually wealthy. Lazarus was always the object of God's favor. God knew him by name. Not so with the rich man. For a time, the rich man was wealthy and feasting. Now, he is permanently impoverished and suffering. Lazarus, for a time, he was impoverished and suffering. And now, he is permanently wealthy and feasting. What a tremendous reversal of circumstance. What a difference in final destiny. What a great tragedy for the rich man that his condition is permanent. The reality, my friends, is quite stark. God is the source of truth. God is also the revealer of truth. Apart from Him, we cannot truly know and we cannot truly see. Without God, there is no hope. Without God, we are lost. Without God, we are like the rich man. We will spend eternity in Hades. Listen to this gripping statement at the end of the parable. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. We must have eyes to see, we must have ears to hear, and we must have a heart to respond. In the words of Scripture, we must be born again. We must be born from above. We must be born by the Spirit. Pray to God that He will give you a heart to see and to respond. And the good news is, is that God is still in the saving business.
I need to make a few comments here because this passage leads some creates some problems for a lot of people. I need to say emphatically that material wealth is not a disqualifier for heaven. Scripture is abundant with examples of rich people who made it into heaven. We have Abraham and David and Barnabas. They were all wealthy, but yet they were men of faith. The warning here is that when we see with the eye, there is a great danger. For many, wealth distorts reality. And as a result, they have no concern about God. Material poverty is no guarantee of heaven. Lazarus is not in heaven because of, is in heaven for only one reason. Not because he was poor, but because of God's sovereign grace. The poor in scripture are the poor in spirit. Those who, realizing their circumstance, have God as their only resource. For many, material poverty distorts reality because they see only with the eye. Material poverty distorts reality and as a result, they become embittered and full of self-pity. But, lest we forget, there's also a warning for those within the household of faith. Because we have a tendency from time to time to be drawn away from our first love. We have seen God's mercy and wisdom. How then should we respond? I want to suggest a good place for us to start is in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2. With, wide, with eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers and sisters, act as an intelligent, as an intelligent act of worship to give your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to Him and acceptable by Him. Do not let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold you, remold your minds from within, so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all His demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. This is what God is calling us to. There is, however, one other matter I feel is necessary for me to address. Whenever scripture speaks of hell, many have questions about the final judgment and particularly about the standard of judgment. I think perhaps the words of Lee Burkhoff on this subject might be helpful. 
writes, and I quote, The standard of judgment by which saints and sinners will be judged evidently will be the revealed will of God. This is not the same for all. Some have been privileged above others, and this naturally leads, this naturally adds to their responsibility. And as scriptural support for that, we can look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 21 through 24, and also Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. To whom much is given, much is required. This does not mean, however, that there will be different conditions of salvation for different classes of people. For all those who appear in judgment, entrance into or exclusion from heaven will depend on the question whether they are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There will be different degrees, both of bliss of heaven and of punishment of hell. And these degrees will be determined by what is done in the flesh. The Gentiles will be judged by the law of nature inscribed in their hearts. The Israelites of the Old Testament, that's dispensation, by the Old Testament revelation, and by that only. And those who have enjoyed, besides the light of nature and the revelation of the Old Testament, the light of the gospel will be judged by the greater light which they have received. In a word, God will give everyone his due. That is what we mean when we say that there will be ultimate justice. The ultimate lawgiver of the world will do right. And it is only then, when the books are finally open, that justice will finally be meted out. This comes as a great surprise to many. But we, within the household of faith, should be aware that we too have to give an account before God. We too have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It will be a time for us, even though we will be forgiven, Nevertheless, we will be judged. And that is a sobering thought for us. And we need to bear that in mind in our daily lives. And I worry about those who have never heard of the gospel. Some of those faraway places. Well, again we're reminded. We know, we meaning all members of the human race, know some very simple things. That you should not lie, you should not cheat, you should not steal, and we could go on and on. 
yet we have done and still do many of the things that we've mentioned and we do them by choice and the reason we choose to do them is because we are unholy we are unrighteous and we are polluted by sin if there's anything which is undeniable is the universality of sin we don't have to teach our children to lie or disobey or be selfish it comes naturally it comes from their nature but why do I pick on the children? why do I pick on the children? when we know full well that that's how we were with our own parents and we know full well that that is exactly how we are with our Heavenly Father well seeing that God is who he is and seeing that we are who we are why don't we just come to him if you need to establish a relationship with him come if you need to mend a broken relationship with him come if you need to strengthen your relationship with him come there once was a young lady in Brighton, England who lived a happy and carefree life at the age of 30 she was struck with a serious ailment that made her an invalid for the rest of her life she became listless and depressed until she was visited by a well-known evangelist of that day sensing her spiritual distress he exclaimed you must come as you are a sinner to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world this marked a turning point in her life she placed her complete trust in Christ's redemptive sacrifice for her and experienced inner peace and joy and in spite of her physical affliction she lived until the right age of 82 Charlotte Elliot wrote approximately 150 hymns during her lifetime today she is considered to be one of the finest of all English hymn writers I've asked Hillary to sing one of her most simple and powerful and well-known hymns Hillary, please